You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I love college football. I love covering the sport. I love watching the sport. I love the ambiance around the sport. I love everything about college football. And I love the concept of college football playoff expansion. I love going to 12 teams. But I absolutely hate the proposal that is out now that is not just a proposal, but is actually the change coming to the college football playoff. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz hanging out with Courtney Cronin, and uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. You guys can chime in, but be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. Triple H, say ESPN. I know a lot of college football markets listen to this show. I'd love your thoughts. We'd love your thoughts. Triple H, 729-3776. Courtney, I love the idea of expansion. I think expansion is fairly inevitable. I'm all in on the concept of more playoff games because I don't think there was anything that was ever going to stop it. But what I hate, what I can't stand, what absolutely makes my blood boil and my skin crawl about all of this is the concept that any of this expansion includes automatic bids. I can't get behind any plan that turns around and says, well, we're just going to give you a bid to the college football playoff because I think long-term it's bad for the future of the sport. Yeah, and I mean, there's certain conferences that benefit from it more than others. Like the SEC with the six teams that automatically get in. This was a proposal before. Like, of course, Greg Sankey liked that idea because most of that is going to benefit his conference. You know, with Notre Dame – the SEC, the Big Ten, those are the places where that's going to benefit the most. But if we're talking about having the best 12 teams in the college football playoff, the automatic qualifier thing kind of ruins that and almost in a way will make it just like it was before where we're we're not talking about uh, the other two perhaps that there isn't a 13th team that we're constantly vying for constantly brought into the conversation. That's my only gripe with this thing, because when we knew this was going to happen back in, I believe it was July of 2021, it was only a matter of time. Of course, conference realignment and the addition of Texas and Oklahoma into the SEC ended up halting this. And then the big tens response this summer, but it was only a matter of time before this would happen. So I'm not entirely sure how, they, if, like, if anything with non-automatic qualifiers would have been on the table, but I can understand your frustration because it feels like it's a lot more of the same. For me, there's this moment, and as I sit here right now, I sit here in a UNLV hoodie, right? So there's not some big brand bias to great, uh, great college football programs for me, right? Like, I'm not sitting here saying, well, my team needs a shot at a national championship. Let's be real. The, the opportunity to actually win a national championship for UNLV doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon, so I think I'm pretty safe on that one. This is about the future of the game, and conversation, I think, is a big part of what we have to talk about when it comes to the future, right? Because in my mind, right now, if you turn, tune into ESPN in the middle of October, Every Tuesday and Wednesday, you're going to see First Take. You're going to see Get Up. You're going to see This Just In. You're going to see all of our shows debating college football. Why? Because there's only four slots, and a group of human beings decide who's the, the who the four best teams are. And, and that creates immediate debate. People feeling like they're left out creates immediate debate. 
if you take away that debate, you take away the need to have that conversation. And, and, and I see this, like as somebody that covers college football, the number of times I've reached out to different radio shows on ESPN and said, Hey, I'll come on earlier in the day and be your college football expert. If you want on Wednesdays, I work in this all the time. And the answer is, well, not a lot of people really care about college football until we get close to the, the rankings. Like the ratings don't really support that on radio. Like you, you, it's already a fight to get people to talk about the sport. If you take away maybe the most subjective part of it, that makes it interesting for people that are casual fans you hurt the long-term interest in all of it to me that's the problem with automatic bids if if you know clemson gets in by winning the acc why have a single debate about clemson until they've won the acc yeah and it's it it doesn't help alabama georgia those types of programs because we know that they're always going to be in the conversation they would have been fine with or without an automatic qualifier in this new format but I, I just feel like it's the it's everybody else. It's the it's I wouldn't want to call them the have nots because there are a lot of teams in the SEC and the Big Ten that are going to be vying for in the mix of this, and they're certainly in that have category. But they're not the Ohio States. They're not, um, you know, as I just mentioned, the two teams in the SEC. So it doesn't it does those schools a disservice. Where I just don't want this to be what it was before except that it's an expanded format and we have a couple teams that have first round buys and it's becoming more of that NFL model like that stuff is great but if it doesn't actually change the conversation around which teams are going to be getting in because of the automatic qualifiers then what are we really doing with it and I'll I'll point to college basketball she's Courtney Cronin I'm Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio I'll, I'll point to college basketball and sometimes when I think about college basketball what hurts my heart is somebody that also loves that sport is that you can't really make people care. And Jay Billis jokes this jokes about this on every show he's on in January, February, where he's like, for those of you that didn't have the attention span to pay attention to more than one sport, he says that all the time. You know, but there's this level of people aren't really tuned into a lot of college basketball because the results don't matter that much. By, yeah. by the time it gets to the spot where everybody has to know it, the tournament, everything will have sorted itself out. That's exactly what college football is going to accomplish in this process. And to me, that is the, the the worst part of it. I mean, I, in my mind, that sort of element of let's reduce the, the conversation about it is what suffocates me long term when I think about the want to have this be a bigger part of the overall conversation. Yeah, and I don't I don't know like what becomes of that because your point about college basketball, like nobody really are the casual fans watching until we get to March Madness, until we get to selection Sunday no unless you're a diehard and have a team or have a conference that you really like it doesn't I hate to use the phrase it doesn't matter but that's how people view it because all of those results all of that won't matter until we see how the teams are seated in the NCAA tournament now obviously this is different and those there are fewer games the wins and the losses carry more weight as it determines the teams that are going to be in the college football playoff this year but it feels like we already almost already know going into the season which are the teams that are going to be in the upper echelon and you know it's so few teams that are going to be vying for those final spots of course the good thing in this and I know that I'm, I feel like I'm kind of sounding negative on college football playoff expansion because the good does outweigh the bad there's you know a couple different ways that you can look at this more teams get in more games matter bigger audience um, Alabama Ohio State Georgia We'll probably get some more mulligans, though, and likely more titles within all of that. So it just kind of feels like the model as it as it is right now ends up playing to their advantage more than 
it wouldn't if there weren't anything if if these automatic qualifiers weren't part of this. One of the shows I host is the kickoff on Fridays with Gary Streisky. We preview the weekend's upcoming action. And Gary and I were debating this today as we were getting ready for the show because he pointed out the NFL model has been very successful. My argument to that is this year. The Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs, and Broncos, for anyone that don't know, doesn't know this, 14 of their 17 games will be the same throughout the course of the season. So there is some commonality in what separates those teams. Only three teams are different. Complicated? Google it if you don't know. Uh, In college football, there's so much difference in the way the SEC schedules versus the Big Ten, not just cupcakes like everybody talks to, but even the number of required conference games are different. So the, the test for every single conference is different. So trying to apply some sort of automatic bid when there is no automatic sort of assumption on how these things are done, to me, makes no sense. Now, I should let David Pollack chime in, ESPN College Football Analyst on College Football Live. This is what he said about what he likes for college football expansion. You're still going to get a lot of buys from the top four teams that you would have had this past year, but Notre Dame and Pitt, Ohio State and Utah, Baylor and Michigan State, it'll be fun to watch. And then, listen, I don't think, to be clear, I don't think this changes the outcomes at all. I think we're still going to get the same teams that are winning the championship, and it's the same teams we debate every single year, but I do like that it'll be more teams in the college football, more exposure, more fun for those players. The question is, is all exposure good exposure? By the way, on this conversation in college football, I should mention that today, Friday, September 2nd, is the 18th annual College Colors Day, celebrated by college fans across the country. That's why I'm wearing my UNLV hoodie today. Uh, Staggeringly, there is no Juilliard Athletics, so I can't really speak to that. But you can use the hashtag College Colors Day, College Colors Day on social media to rep your college colors, sharing the excitement. This year's theme is It's About Time to Signify the Anticipation. So uh, get out there, post on social media with the hashtag College Colors Day. Show everybody your colors. Great way to celebrate. And don't forget, College Colors Day has partnered with Amazon to create an interactive shopping experience. This is kind of cool for fans for your favorite gear. You just ask Alexa to show me my college colors. And fans will unlock a new skill on their device. Be guided by ESPN College Football broadcasters Reese Davis or Desmond Howard to the Amazon Fan Shop for the latest in college fan fashion spirit items. It is awesome. You should check it out. All you got to do is ask Alexa to show you your college colors. All right. In the, the spirit of that, is all exposure good exposure? Well, there's a matchup this weekend that may answer that, not just for this weekend, but also for the future of college football playoff expansion. We'll explain next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, Jason Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance, I'll learn how to speak at some point. Courtney Cronin and Jason Fitz tune into an NL West battle tomorrow night as the Dodgers host the Padres. Presented by Progressive Insurance, coverage begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Obviously, big action tonight. We will have all eyes on Serena as we have been doing all week. Serena uh, just getting underway in her match. You can watch that on ESPN uh, all eyes will be on Serena. We will keep you updated on that as it progresses. Also, uh, number 15, Michigan State, is in action tonight against Western Michigan. That's on ESPN2. There's no score there. We'll keep you updated on all of that as it continues to unfold throughout the course of the evening. But, Courtney, we were just talking about uh, college football playoff expansion. And one interesting nugget that we didn't even get to is the lack of competitiveness between, let's say, the number one team, and in this model, the number 12 team. And I only bring that up because 
This weekend's game of the weekend, by far, the one that everybody's going to be watching, is Ohio State-Notre Dame. And Notre Dame walks into this game the biggest underdog we have ever seen from a top-five team. Does that not say something about where we are in the college football landscape? Yeah, and unfortunately, we've seen so much of this happen in recent years, like, you know, Alabama and Cincinnati last year in the Cotton Bowl, Michigan and Georgia. A lot of those games were no contest, and those were the top four teams in the country. Imagine what that's going to be like when you have 12 teams. And, you know, we heard from David Pollack earlier in the show. He made a really good point that we're going to be seeing a lot more of the same, like the same teams that end up you know, vying for a college football national championship and are the top teams in the playoff picture are going to be the same ones that they've always been. There's just a bigger field here and more of a chance, more of a chance for exposure for a lot of these other teams. But when we take a look at what's going to happen this weekend, you've got the number two team and the number five team in the AP poll in Ohio State and Notre Dame, respectively, facing off in Columbus, 100,000 people at the horseshoe to kick off college football. And Notre Dame is going in there. I believe there are 16-point dogs right now. Isn't that crazy? Like when you think about, you know, this is the fifth best team, according to the AP poll and according to really everybody who watches college football. And they're, they're, they're you know, Ohio State's favored by that much. And that's just wild to me, and I think that speaks to, like, the bigger picture here of college football and the parity and the lack thereof that we see every single year that you hope that the college football playoff expansion will end up, like, limiting some of that, but I don't think that's going to be the case. That's part of the great question, Courtney, is is will making the playoffs and having more exposure sort of lead to more players wanting to trickle out? Like, it could take years for recruiting to spread out, but that's essentially what would have to happen. I, I always go back to what... Um, you know, Mike Golick Jr. said to me a long time ago that I've never forgotten. If we truly want equity across the landscape, parity across the landscape of college football, the only way to do that is to limit the available scholarships, which feels gross because at some point you're hurting kids' chances to get an education doing what they love doing. But as long as you can stockpile great pla- great players in great places, that's just going to continue to be the question. So now the question becomes, how, how, if you're Notre Dame, can you do the impossible and pull off the upset? Because I think it would be viewed as the impossible. David Pollock, ESPN College Football Analyst, said this about what Notre Dame needs to do on the 12 p.m. Sports Center. Notre Dame's offense is going to have to be good. And Tyler Buckner, a new quarterback, he's a running quarterback at the line of scrimmage. They're going to have to pound the rock. And his athletic ability will be a huge part of the game plan. Notre Dame is big. They're physical. They're massive up front. Chew the clock. Wind that clock, let it go down, keep that offense for Ohio State off the field and use his athletic ability, I think, at the quarterback spot. I think that's the best chance for Notre Dame to try to get a dub. That's the fourth different person in the last 72 hours, Courtney, that I think I respect a lot with their college football knowledge that has said the same thing. That Notre Dame is big enough to at least attempt to chew the clock, and they're not looking to pick up chunks. They're looking to pick up three yards here and four yards there. Could That's the only shot they got is just slow this entire thing down. Yeah, and I mean, he's going to be playing without some of his top receivers. Like, that's the problem for Tyler Buckner, who, again, has to go into a place with 100,000 people. His first start, he's a sophomore, different quarterback than the one that Notre Dame had last year. And that's just such an insurmountable task that we're looking kind of for loopholes. Well, how can they chew up the most clock? How can they win time of possession? How can they do the unthinkable here? And... Yeah, no kidding, they have to put up a ton of points. But the thing that concerns me, though, is that 
if you're Jim Knowles, the Ohio State defensive coordinator, you know, what does that look like when you're going to game plan for a team that's going to be playing without some of its starters? That's a that's tricky. So maybe maybe Ohio State isn't ex- entirely ready for that. I don't know. You don't think that that's going to be the case because you know that that high-octane offense is so hard to defend, so hard to slow down, and I'm just not so sure that Notre Dame is fully capable of doing that. Of course, it's a great story with a brand-new coach, second youngest coach in college football right now and Marcus Freeman, and it's a great opportunity for this team in terms of the national exposure to kick off the weekend, kick off you know, 24 hours after this news of the college football playoff expansion taking place, but I don't think that that's going to alter the result at all. I mean, when this thing opened, it was four, 14 or 14-and-a-half points spread. That thing ex- expanded for good reason the other day, and I just don't know if Notre Dame and their injury trouble that they have right now is going to be enough to overcome that. You know, it, it's funny when you mention that. Courtney Cronin, uh, Courtney Cronin, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, when you start thinking about what we expect from this team and what's realistic, very different things, right? And, and Marcus Freeman gets a lot of benefit of the doubt, not just because – Uh, he's got a a talented squad and he recruited well in the limited time he has, but also because he just seems like the sort of guy you want to be friends with. Like there's a vibe to to Marcus Freeman that seems like the coolest guy in the world. And Mm -hmm. when, when you've got that, people want to give you some level of, you know, benefit of the doubt. But the other side of it is, I completely think Ohio State's going to be in the zone, uh, getting the zone brought to you by by, by AutoZone, getting the zone AutoZone. Uh, Part of that comes from the fact that Ohio State is still sitting on the knowledge that they didn't get it done last year. Like, there is this motivating factor. I think if you're Ohio State and you're looking around and you're just saying, man, people said, what about Michigan? And Michigan's talking what smack? And, like, what's going where? Like, I I just think Ohio State's had, I don't know, roughly six months at this point to get angry. And when you're already talented and you have six months to get angry – I don't think you're laying an egg week one. You're you're doing the opposite. You're coming out saying, "Man, we're gonna we're gonna put our uh, our our egos on the table and make sure that we get ourselves in a situation where the world knows that we are the best football team in the country." Yeah, and I mean, think about the last time that they won a national championship. I mean, they've been there. They've had four playoff appearances since the college football playoff was uh, brought in in 2000, I believe it was 2014. They have eight claimed national titles, seven unclaimed. And I mean, you know, I just think that the runner-up mentality for this group has to be wearing thin on them. I don't know if there's any other team in the country that has more at stake this year than Ohio State. We are going to keep you updated. Michigan State, Western Michigan are tied at zip, uh, zip, zip right now. And Serena just underway. We'll make sure throughout the course of the night that we keep you updated on both. But we're going to continue to figure out what the great news is on this breaking college football playoff expansion from one of the smartest minds at ESPN next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Serena Williams is in action. She's tied at uh, it, it's two up right now in the first set. So we'll keep you updated on what that looks like going forward. Obviously, the U.S. Open just gets crazier and crazier with every single win. It has become a phenomenon. It feels like the world is rooting for her, and we want to keep you updated on every second of it. You can check that out on ESPN 
Also, Michigan uh, Michigan State in action against Western Michigan. That tied at zero right now. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Get renter's insurance to protect the things that make your place a home, including coverage for theft or damage. Visit Progressive.com. All right, we've been talking about college football playoff expansion. We also have a bunch of big games. Uh, I misspoke. Western Michigan up 3 nothing. Sorry about that. Uh, we've been talking about all this action. Let's get some expertise. Adam Rittenberg joins us, ESPN College Football Senior Writer. Before we get to the Big Ten, which is why we want to have you on, we have to start with expansion. What was your reaction when you heard the news of the expansion uh, situation? Well, yeah, it just came together quickly, right? I mean, this seemed to be dead, uh, obviously, earlier this year, at least for the next few years. But I think it, what it does is it reinforces that the college presidents, the ones that are obviously involved in this process, really do have the power. That When they want to get something done and they're motivated, and in this case they were frustrated that the commissioners couldn't come to a conclusion on the playoff proposal. They essentially pushed it through Mississippi State's president, you know, leading the way on that charge. And so, um, you know, certainly significant. I, I, I do have my doubts as to whether this can happen in 2024, maybe 2025, but it may not be until 2026, which was always going to be the pivot point, right? Because that was the end of the current contract with uh, ESPN and the, and the 14 playoffs. So if it's 2026, it was always going to be 2026. If they could somehow get it done earlier, uh, then uh, certainly that'll be more money and uh, a lot of excitement for those of us who have looked forward to an expanded playoff. How would they get it done sooner? Would that have to rely on realignment slowing down to a degree? Is it TV contracts that need to be worked out? Like, how do we see this in 2024 or 2025? Right, Courtney. Well, there's a lot of different factors. Certainly the TV part is significant because – Uh, I think one of the big reasons that it didn't go through initially was the concern from, I would say, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 primarily of having just the one television partner, ESPN. And so I I don't think that those leagues will approve something uh, that that, that doesn't have multiple partners, that isn't structured similarly to the the recent Big Ten TV contract where you had three of the four major networks involved in that deal and so i think espn would be willing to uh to to do a different you know type of deal moving forward and started a little bit earlier because there's more money to be made but that's certainly a big factor and then also where are the game's going to be played you know there's been sites announced for the next few national championships the national championship in a 12-team format would be later into January than what's been out there for the 14 model. And so there is a lot of work to do. Commissioners are going to be meeting next week. They're going to be, made, be, be, be uh, meeting later this month here in Chicago. So now those discussions take on a different uh, sense. And as I was talking with one of the Power Five commissioners today, he said we've got a lot of work to do and we've got to do it quickly. We're talking to Adam Rittenberg, ESPN College Football Senior Writer. Obviously, expansion on everybody's mind. But when we first uh, talked about putting the show together and knew we wanted to talk to you, Adam, it was because we want to talk about the Big Ten. So let's move to some of the football we're going to see over the course of the weekend. Everybody's talking about Ohio State because of the point spread and because of how favorited they are against Notre Dame. What about the rest of the conference? Is there anybody in your mind within the Big Ten that can actually challenge Ohio State? Yeah, I only laugh a little bit because there's a team that beat Ohio State last year that <laughs> returns its quarterback, actually multiple quarterbacks who are going to be starting in the first couple of games, a really good offense. I know defensively Michigan is likely to take a step backward because they essentially lost three first-round picks. If David Ojabo doesn't rupture his Achilles at Pro Day, he's the third first-round pick coming off that Michigan defense. So they, they may take a step backward, but I really do like their offense. It's unusual what they're doing with the quarterbacks, but they have a soft enough opening 
with uh, Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn to, to have some experimentation. And I think they'll come out of it with, with a pretty powerful offense. And so it's just interesting how we write off Michigan a year after they beat Ohio State, after they got to the college football playoff. And anyone who watched that game in Ann Arbor knows it wasn't a fluke. So um, I, I think that's where you have to start. You know, I saw Penn State last night. Unfortunately, they, they look similar to what we've seen the last couple of years, but they found a way to get a win on the road against Purdue. They have talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, but but I don't know if they're necessarily that team that can challenge Michigan. And then we'll see if there's anybody coming out of the Big Ten West. There's some great defenses on that side. Minnesota looked good last night. Uh, Iowa, Wisconsin. The problem is, do, do any of those teams have remotely enough offensive firepower to keep pace with the Buckeyes? So I, I think it's Michigan, uh, and, 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 and there, there's probably a gap after that in terms of challengers for Ohio State. Help me understand what's going on at Michigan, because I, I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority. I feel bad for Cade McNamara. I mean, he leads this team to a Big Ten championship, yet he's still being asked to split time with a backup, who I get is a former five-star recruit in J.J. McCarthy. But why is Jim Harbaugh going this route knowing that he already had a guy in the fold? It's not like he has two brand-new quarterbacks. He has somebody that was there last year. Why is he going with the quarterback battle the first two games? Well, I think it's because J.J. McCarthy has that talent advantage. And you talk to coaches in the Big Ten, they've told me that uh, ultimately he's the more talented option. And so it's difficult, even though you're right, Courtney, Cade McNamara led them to a Big Ten championship and and does everything that they need him to do in that offense and and has improved and is a team captain. He has a lot of things going for him, but do they want to leave J.J. McCarthy on the bench when there may be a ceiling with Cade McNamara, especially in a year where you're going to need your offense to be better, right? I mean, with their defense losing Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and Dax Hill at safety and some other really good players throughout that unit, you know, Michigan's going to have to rely more on their passing game. And in their assessment, not surprisingly, you know, J.J. McCarthy might be able to give them that advantage. And, and they also have this opening schedule where they really shouldn't be challenged a whole lot. They don't leave home until October 1st going to Iowa. And so they're, you know, they're using those games almost like an NFL preseason to see what they have, and then they'll assess it from there. I, I think what will be fascinating is once they do settle on a quarterback, how is that going to affect the locker room, especially if that quarterback is J.J. McCarthy and not Cade McNamara? Adam, I just watched Michigan State throw a long touchdown pass, and it makes me think, what's what's going on? I mean, it wasn't that long ago we weren't sure who Mel Tucker was. Now he's very rich. They, they go to the transfer portal. They <laughs> rebuild their roster, which changes the way a lot of coaches are doing business. But this is different this year. There are expectations. Who should Michigan State be this year? Yeah, I think they're a team, and you mentioned the, the long pass. Uh, and Peyton Thorne, guys, quietly – set the, the team's single-season touchdown pass record. You know, that's a program that has some tradition at quarterback. Kirk Cousins is obviously there. Uh, helped them get to a, a college football playoff uh, a couple of years later with Connor Cook. So, so you know, they, they can throw it around a little bit at MSU, and he's going to have to do more of that. Without Kenneth Walker in the backfield, the transfer from Wake Forest, they, they've relied on a couple of more transfers at running back. Jarek Broussard from Colorado and Jalen Berger from uh, Wisconsin. But if they want to you know, challenge Ohio State this year, they're going to need to get a lot better on defense, which is Mel Tucker's specialty. They were last in the country in pass defense last year. They got embarrassed uh, in that game in Columbus. And so I, I'm interested to see if they can make some strides on the defensive side. Uh, I think they're absolutely headed in the right direction under Mel Tucker. They're recruiting 
at a higher level than they ever have in terms of our ESPN recruiting rankings. They haven't posted these types of numbers uh, you know, since, since we launched those rankings. And so I think they're going to be fine in, in, in the out years. But this year, if they have a chance to challenge, it's going to have to be because of their passing game and then being able to stop the pass a lot better than they did last year. Adam, before we let you go, I need to ask about Georgia, who is now finally putting itself in in the shoes of Alabama, where they enter with high expectations coming off of a national championship year. It's been 41 years since they've been in this spot, and they go in knowing that a lot of their defense left for the NFL draft. And this feels to me more like a reloading instead of a rebuild on that side of the ball. But in those first couple games – when this defense is trying to figure out what its identity is going to be, what does Stetson Bennett and that offense have to do to carry this Georgia team? Well, it's a lot like the Michigan situation where you have a quarterback who people have doubted, you know, for, throughout his career, who if he, could, if he performs at a higher level in terms of the passing game, you know, that, that, that's going to ease any lingering concerns about Georgia's ability to once again challenge for a national championship. Now, you know, Bennett doesn't have to worry about sharing starts, but he's got to go out there and, and throw the ball and, and, and certainly maximize the talent that Georgia has, certainly at tight end. This may be the deepest group of tight ends in the country. And then they're looking for guys to emerge at receiver. They've had some guys who have been around the program for a while who've shown flashes. You know, maybe this is the year that some of them put it all together and they become a, a really balanced and dynamic offense. And I, I agree with you on defense. They're not going to sl- slide back too far, but to expect them to do what they did last year, historically elite defense, you're probably not realistic. So you know, Stetson Bennett, Cade McNamara, two similar positions. They played each other in the playoff last year. Both have some doubts going in, but they can ease those doubts by being more dynamic and explosive in the past game. Adam, as always, we appreciate your expertise on a Friday evening. Enjoy a game of actual football that actually counts in college football's back. Enjoy the chaos. Uh, we'll get to caught up on more that you need to know. College football is back. Tune in tomorrow. Georgia Battles, Oregon, presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Hey, it's a Friday. We're all having a good time. Just gets a little chaotic sometimes. We're going to let the chaos come to you next. We'll get you updated on Serena. We'll get you updated on Michigan State. Plus, a huge breakup that has absolutely wrecked my heart. Sort of. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a big day for bro country fans all over the world. <laughs> Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I promise, calm down, we'll tie it into sports. Jason Fitz, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with you. Uh, Want to get you updated. Serena up right now, 4-3 in the first set of her action at the U.S. Open. Uh, right now she's trying to break serve, so we'll see how that goes. But she is up 4-3 in Michigan State up 7-3 to three in their matchup. So uh, you can check out Serena on ESPN. If you were looking for the Michigan State game uh, versus Western Michigan, that got moved to ESPN too because, frankly, it is a scene of delight at the U.S. Open right now. Everybody flocking to watch Serena do what Serena does. So we'll, uh, we'll keep you updated. We're going to break that down in a little bit. But big news in the music world today, and it had me thinking, Courtney. Uh, FGL, commonly known as Florida Georgia Line. They broke up. They're gone. They're done. Each of them has decided they're going to do their own solo uh, thing at this point. And uh, one of them's already, Tyler's already put out a solo record. So everybody knew that that was coming. I think most people thought it was just going to be in addition to. But instead, it's the end, at least for now, until they want to do a reunion tour and make dirty money. It's the end of FGL. But it had me thinking about 
breakups, like breakups in sports, because automatically I thought, man, this was kind of the show in Kobe and Shaq, right? Like this was like two greats together, if you're into that, and then all of a sudden they, every time I qualify, but all of a sudden they break up. It, 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 it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and I mean, anybody who listened to Bro Country is you uh, so adequately called their music. I mean, what is our replacement for that? I mean, I know that you were talking about that song Cruise, the one that we played on the, coming back in. Like, mm-hmm. that B.B. Rexa song that they did. What was that called? Because that is, ever since we talked about doing this segment tonight, that's been stuck in my head. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meant to be. It so was what meant ha- to be. Yes, exactly. So yeah. what happens now? What? Where's my next version of that coming from? Yeah, I, uh, hopefully we get a little break. Look, I, I say that. <laughs> hopefully just- we get a break. <laughs> Whereas, I, whereas I'm like, please find me a replacement. No, I, I think what's what's amazing about FGL is that you can love or hate this. There was a, for a long time there was a real resistance for any country act that wanted to do anything that got too pop, anything that got too sort of out there, and FGL broke down those barriers. Yeah, like, there's no doubt about it. Were they were they the first f- country music band to use auto tune? Oh God, no, no, no! Was That's Jason been used Aldean, for a long like, time. Uh, yeah, okay, like, I'm trying to learn all this stuff on the fly because okay. this is not my wheelhouse. But they're the first ones I, I think of when I think of auto tune. I'll in tell country you, music. I'll tell you this: definitely I, not the first to use 808s. We know that. It, yeah, no, my God. Uh, it, but they did. Here's the thing: a lot of country bands tried to put out little pop things. FGL did it right. They did it much better, right? And so I think that's part of why it translated. Plus, that's real. And for for all the joking I make, for anyone that doesn't know their story, I mean, there was a period where they were out on the Gary Allen tour when nobody knew who they were, and they were driving their own van, and they were selling CDs out in the parking lot out of their van while they were trying to make it. So, you know, they certainly grinded to get to where they where they are. What's funny is I remember when I was on tour with Kenny Rogers and he he was talking at the time about how when he started doing country records, people were like, well, this isn't country. Like, this isn't country music at all because he had come from a rock and roll background. And he laughed about that when he got inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame later. Every single time there's a new generation of country artists, somebody's like, oh, this is pop. It's not country. It happens every time. So it happened to Kenny Rogers. He got blowback for it. But, you know, all, if you look back, there were people giving Garth Brooks blowback at one point. Now he's obviously a legend. Like, it just happens every every time. So there'll be somebody else that will rise up, like, in some capacity. I don't know who's going to give us... You know, bro country bops, but it, 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 <laughs> is that a phrase now? Bro, bro country, country bops? bops. No, you just made it one. Nah, we're going to do that. So, but, but is there, a, I mean, for all the years you've covered or, you know, done work around sports in general, is there a break? Like, when you think of great sports duo breakups, like, yeah. I'm thinking like Michael and Scotty broke up, you know, and that, like, the, the Bulls weren't any better for it. Like, they, they just couldn't be together. Brady and Belichick break up. Like, uh, is there a breakup that stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, Brady and Belichick, I think of, like, the current era of how many Super Bowl rings those two have combined and then how that breakup happened where it was, we don't want you here anymore. We are going a different direction. When Tom Brady very well would have stayed had they offered him the extension that he wanted um, and put a emphasis and really a premium on keeping him there. So, of course, that's my first one. But when we were going through ideas of this, there's one, like, I like volatile breakups in sports. Ones that, you know, end in a very poor way because those are the most interesting. What about all of the breakups that Antonio Brown has had with teams over the years? Like, think it was literally right around now 
four years ago or three years ago in 2019 when he broke up with the Raiders after the whole fiasco with heart, you know, with his feet on hard knocks and then forcing his way out just to get to the new England Patriots. But, you know, there was that breakup. There was the breakup with the Pittsburgh Steelers and these weren't an amical parting of ways. This was an explosive way, forcing my way out of here. And we see guys do this now when they get traded. You know, you think about this past off season, Devonte Adams breaking up with the green Bay Packers, same thing with Tyreek Hill and the Kansas City Chiefs. But I don't consider those breakups. I just consider them moving on to a different spot. Antonio Brown, in the way that he left the Pittsburgh Steelers, in the fallout of that, was, to me, one of the most explosive breakups we've seen from an athlete in the NFL in the last, you know, decade. Yeah, what what hurts my heart now is I realize how many Raiders breakups I could go to. Like, I could go to uh, Antonio Brown and the Raiders. I could go to the first time John Gruden was uh, let go by the Raiders because that was a trade to the Buccaneers and there was all this contentiousness about their contract situation. Marcus Allen really famously in the prime of his career and just felt like the organization gave up on him. So all of a sudden it was like, meh, we're good. Like that, that's a a famous breakup that broke my heart. There's also like, I'll go back to my eighties fandom as a kid, like Joe Montana breaking up with the 49ers, which created, you know, the 49ers new side piece was Steve young. And that worked out. And then Montana moved on maybe too quickly with the chiefs. That seemed to work out pretty well. Like that's a breakup that everybody won on. Mm -hmm. And there's always the breakups like with cities and fans. Like when, the Baltimore Colts pick up in the middle of the night and go to Indianapolis, like, and then the Browns in Cleveland in the 1990s. Like, those are pretty, pretty memorable ones as far as, like, things that people still talk about and things that still are kind of hard to talk about for those fan bases. Yeah, I mean, the breakup is always, uh, Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers, that was a breakup, right? That was a separation followed by a breakup. (laughs) Like, I don't Mm -hmm. even know how we we term that, but that's got to be on the list. Uh, somewhere in this process, right? No, absolutely. I mean, that was a weird situation where he thought he was going to level up with the New York Jets, and that was so short-lived, and now he's boxing, I believe. I think that fight's coming up with him and um, Adrian Peterson soon. Oh, my God. Maybe it already happened. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to it. But, yeah, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers might actually, for the current generation, lead – you know, lead the NFL with the most breakups that they've had, or at least the most volatile ones, because it was A.B., it was Le'Veon Bell, and, you know, that's that's quite a bit there. Yeah, well, I'm throwing it out on the Dr. Pepper Twitter line. Uh, you can get out there and uh, tweet us and tell us what you think. Uh, we want your best sports breakups, and uh, we'll read some of the best of them on that Dr. Pepper t- t- Twitter line. So give you the opportunity. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial Insurance can protect your small business with over 30 coverage options, an easy-to-use mobile app, personalized discounts, and more. Get a quote in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Discounts and coverage selections not available in all states or situations. Coming up, we'll take a look around the latest in Major League Baseball with one of my favorite experts, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.